Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. You know what you just heard? You just heard the new fantastic introduction from our good friend, Johnny Moore. Mike put out a call to all of you peasants to send us some jingles. And Johnny Moore is the only one who answered. So, Johnny Moore, you're in our hearts forever. We love you. And the rest of you, you need to beg for Mike's forgiveness. And it's fucked up, actually, because we're coming bearing a gift. We are bringing you Nick, the pizza boy, Mercandante himself. <laughs> and this is how you treat us. Nick, you want to say hello to the people? Hey, everybody. Is this a uh, pizza podcast? or is uh, this It could a, be a pizza I podcast. Would, I'd, I'd prefer it if it was right I now. I made some delicious pizza yesterday using Nick's recipe for tomato sauce using the... Frank Pepe tomatoes in the can. Somebody, uh, somebody gave you major shade on Twitter about your pizza too. I forget who it was, but they who? called it a good-looking Elio's or something. Oh, like yeah, it was that. Phil. That was Phil. Ugh. That was fucking. You know what, Phil? I fired you already for that little comment, Phil. But just know that that there is more coming. I, thought I don't it know what. Good. Well, I thank you. I thought tasty. it was delicious. Yeah, it was great. It was fantastic. I don't know what these fucking people's problems are. Um, yeah, so we have Nick on. We can certainly talk about you know the Pizza Boy podcast uh, if you want. Nick has actually given me a couple of recipes that I have yet to try. Yesterday's uh, tomato sauce was the first one. But fuck all the haters. That's what I have to say to that. Nick, welcome to the show. We're gonna we're gonna start off kind of hot here. Mike and I were just talking about this. Coming in hot. Can you, can you explain to the people? how lucky they are to have Henrik Lundqvist in their lives and what type of black hole is going to occur when he retires. Yeah, just if you watched any of the All-Star game and the skills competition and the whole, you know, charade, um, like what I love about Henrik Lundqvist is it really doesn't matter where he goes. He's pretty well beloved because in the very least, men, women everybody finds him incredibly attractive. So just put hockey aside. Just enjoy looking at the guy. All right? That's a starting point. And then, and then for him to be, you know, in New York, New York City, kind of on one of, if not the biggest stage for hockey. I mean, sorry, Toronto, but whatever. Fuck Toronto. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, and then to, to do what he's done for, what is it now, 13 years? 14, I don't even know what it is, is uh, uh, incredible. And it's one of those things where, you know, you can say, okay, you watched the Rangers. You you were a fan uh, at a time when an all-time great played, um, who will no doubt be in the rafters and no doubt be in the Hall of Fame uh, and everything else. And, you know, 10, 20, 30 years from now, uh, you can say, well, I watched that guy. And I think that that's a pretty special thing. I don't think that we have a lot of those guys in, uh, certainly not in this generation, this era, call it Lundquist era of the Rangers. I mean, there's been a few that have come and gone uh, on short stints, but really you have to look back to when they won the cup to have those kind of legendary guys. Um, of course, it's a shame that they're probably not going to win a cup, um, you know, during his tenure uh, in New York, but um, it, it's it's awesome nonetheless that you get to watch a guy like that. Uh, top, uh, you know, I, I always go back and forth, and people think I'm nuts sometimes one way or the other, I guess, but uh, top five goalie certainly of all time, and he, I put him in my top three. Uh, maybe I was going to ask you that question. I'm, I was going to say I think he's a top five goalie. Mike put his hand up, I believe. Did you do that intentionally, Michael? Yeah, I did. You son of a bitch. Um, Go ahead. Nick, I, we hear this so so much, and it always it just hurts my little heart when people say that it's a theory. It's one of those theories It's like the flat earth theory to me. Um, you understand why someone might get confused about this sort of thing. But of course it makes no sense and is not at all founded in logic or reason. The, the theory that Henrik Lundqvist's contract is what held the Rangers out of winning a cup, that he was paid too much. And I, and I have always said, well, you have to pay for that sort of talent. Is, is that true, Nick? Do you have to pay for talent in this league? Yeah, I think the argument is that, um, you know, 
not a lot of teams have won with uh, won Stanley Cups with extremely highly paid goaltenders. Um, but that's look at it as a percentage of the cap, and what you have to look at is year over year where do the Rangers fall in terms of their total percentage of cap taken up by their goaltenders, and how many games or minutes do they get out of those those goalies taking up the cap space. Here's the deal. Lundqvist, for as much as he's being paid, is an incredible workhorse. Absolutely incredible still. So you're getting your money's worth. Even if he gives you, you know, just slightly above league average performance, like, you know, last season, for instance, that's, you're still just for the, it's, it's kind of like a, like a games and minutes per dollar type of thing that you look at and then look at his contract and the total uh, you know, contracts going against the cap for the goalies and say, well, how much is that actually taking up? And I think I looked at it at one point. It's like, okay, if he's taking up 10% of the cap, let's go league wide and look at some of the, the, the other teams in the league. And they're not that drastically different, you know, in total cap space, you've got teams that are splitting, you know, kind of two reasonable contracts between goaltenders or maybe one reasonable contract and then a goalie who's slightly overpaid and they kind of get there in terms of overall salary. Are they in the top quarter in terms of what they pay their goalie? Yeah, but is that the differentiator and them winning a cup? Come on, fuck no. Stop it. It's 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 the it's drafting, it's getting the right players on the team, getting the right coaching staff to make those players go. You can absolutely win a Stanley Cup with an all-time great goal, goaltender who's getting paid like an all-time great goaltender. That's just ridiculous logic to to kind of just toss that out there without any real authority to stand on other than, oh, well, look, in the past few years, there's been you know teams with timeshare goalie situations that have won a cup. Um, it's just, it's just silly. Well, that's the point that I was going to make is how many, like uh, everybody loves to bring up the fact that you don't need an elite goalie to win the Stanley cup, which I don't think any of the three of us would argue against. That's fine. But like you pointed, people are like, well, look, the Kings won with Jonathan quick. Great. The Kings had Jonathan quick. Like, is, are you really saying that when you needed to re-sign Lundqvist five years ago? You are going to say, you know what? You're maybe a top five goalie of all time, but you don't need an elite goalie to win the cup. So we're going to let you go to another team. It's insanity. Right. It's absolutely right. insanity. Like you build your team around what you have, and it's not like the Rangers didn't win the Stanley Cup in 2014 because of Lundqvist. It's not. I mean, his playoff record is like the saddest thing of all time because he's so fucking good, and the Rangers could not score more than like 2.3 goals a game for him. It's insane. So I'm not going to make like, and we need to preface this too by saying there's a normal section of Rangers Twitter. There's an insane section of Rangers Twitter. And then there is the section below the surface of Rangers Twitter. That's where this ideology is coming from, that Henrik Lundqvist's contract somehow stopped the Rangers from being a competitive hockey team. You're going to say that with a straight face and not fucking mention Girardi and Stahl instead of Strawman and bringing Boyle in and like all these fucking decisions that the Rangers made to keep Girardi and Stahl on the roster. You're really going to say that it's Henrik Lundqvist, you fucking piece of crap. It's, no, it's, you're out of your mind. And it's the same it's thing. It's the same thing that that any fan base. Every fan base has, uh, you know, some bridge people, right? Just people living under the bridge, um, just acting like complete animals. And <laughs> that's, that's so, they, I, we were just talking at work today about how the term "animal" is a fantastic insult, and uh, you just throw it out here on the podcast. Just, I just love it. saying stuff that's just not only unfounded, but like borderline, uh, like I don't know, I, I don't even know. Whatever. Point is, every fan base, uh, every fan base has that, and any fan base that has a gripe, whether it's because they got close to winning a cup and came up short, or because they're far off and remained far off for a long time, they are going to latch on to the team's star player and find reasons why it's the team's star player's fault. Before Ovechkin won a cup, it was because Ovechkin's plus-minus was shitty one year. And, you know, I don't know. Or he's a one-trick pony, right? Uh, you know, there's there are a ton of people writing articles about how Connor McDavid needs to learn how to play a more complete game and get his teammates involved and somehow scores too many points. There's actually an article written about how he's going to learn how to score, score less, but be a better player under Hitchcock. Like 
literally bonanza crazy logic. Um, and so it's the same thing with Lundqvist, right? Lundqvist has been the star player. He's been the mainstay. He's been the guy who year in and year out has been the best player on their team. And so he's going to be the one who's going to bear the brunt of the blame when it doesn't go right. Or when, you know, like the past couple of years kind of shit really hit the fan, you know, then they start to say, well, you know, that huge contract and now he's older and he's not quite the same. And, you know, this is, this could have all been avoided if they didn't get, okay, play that scenario out. Don't give Lundqvist that contract when the team is in their, you know, so-called window of cup contending. Let's play that scenario out. They don't, they don't give him the contract and then they go and do what? First of all, year in and year out, there's barely ever a free agent goalie on the market worth a damn, right? Because teams, generally speaking, re-sign their goaltenders and the guys who make it to free agency are usually on the back end of when they were good. They're, they've already hit 30, they've already peaked out and you're just waiting for an injury or that to fall off a cliff or they're just going to kind of steadily decline. So you're not going to get a guy in free agency. So then let's look at what they've brought through this their system okay is it cam talbot uh yeah he had a couple good years kind of like any goalie who you know is a a marginal starting goaltender uh in the nhl they usually have one or two good years and then they flop that's what cam talbot is now is cam talbot that guy that was gonna help them get to stanley cup ah, i you know he was well, all right that's what people don't remember either is like you have the luxury of having this conversation because Lundqvist cleaned up so much shit you never even knew was shit. Right. And if yeah, you put it's... a regular, even average goaltender in that situation, I can promise you the Rangers are not going to the Stanley Cup. I can assure you. No, that's and that's the whole thing. It's Bad teams are bad because the sum of their parts are bad. It's not because the best thing on their team, it's somehow that thing, you know, that person's fault, that coach, that player, whatever it may be. You can have a good coach that coaches a bad team and doesn't win any games. You can have a bad coach coaching a good team and they don't win because of bad coaching. You can have a great, world-class, best-in-the-world player and still be kind of the laughingstock of the NHL like the Edmonton Oilers right now. It, it, it's not ever it's hockey it's just never gonna be it's never gonna be one guy and then you know whatever is the rest of the team and you win and lose based on that guy it just doesn't work that way it's the sum of of the parts and you have to have other pieces around that make sense and don't handcuff you and in my opinion it's things like the stall contract and the Girardi contract and decisions to get rid of players that were actually contributing that you know kind of add up to not getting over the hump oh and by the way you need to be lucky to win the stanley cup to begin yeah, with. That's so the, that's I, I mean they were there they almost did it the kings were playing better hockey lundquist kept them in it as long as he could and they lost that's what happens that's the nhl but blame lundquist because you can nick final question on henrik lundquist that was fan like we asked one question and we got 13 minutes of anger out of you which is fantastic <laughs> um it, let's say Shostyorkin comes over next year, right? And he comes to the NHL, and, and he's everything that, that you hope he is. How much better or worse is he than Henrik Lundqvist right now? Because that's what I think a lot of people, like, you don't, even Lundqvist now in what you would consider, quote-unquote, his twilight years, is better than what you are going to get from almost anybody else who walks through that door. Yeah, here's the deal. I mean, Cheshorkin has had a really cushy gig in the KHL playing for Siska. I mean, they're, uh, I, I don't know if there's a good comparison uh, in the The Devils NHL during their dynasty? Uh, yeah, they, I mean, they're giving... Were they, they turned Brodor into, like, the greatest goalie of all time? That's right, even, yeah. Even they though give, I'll argue they that he's up. overrated. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you. Don't get me started on that. Go. I'll give you the 13 minutes on that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, I and look, I don't have the stats right in front of me, so somebody can call me out on it. Fuck you. The bottom line is he gets 18, 20, 24 shots a game. Uh, you know, he's got a good team, really good team in front of him. Every single goalie that's gone through there has had pretty good stats. You've got uh, uh, Koskinen, the, the guy who got a big contract over for Edmonton, crazily. Uh, he was running like a cool 93.8 per, uh, save percentage uh, right next next to Chess Yorkin last season. So, um, you know, that's I'm just throwing that out there as, as a 
kind of a little bit of, let's pump the brakes just a little bit. You're making the jump from the KHL to the NHL. And, oh, by the way, you're going to be playing on a young team that's known to give up a ton of opportunities. If he comes over and he kind of flops in his first year, let's not hang him. But if, you know, at the same time, let's not, you know, expect that he's going to be uh, the next, you know, thing, great thing that's going to carry this team to the next level. I think that there's going to be a, a period, like a lot of young goalies, where he's going to go up and down, kind of on that roller coaster, right? Like, think like, you know, other kind of stud young goalies, Matt Murray, um, uh, Hellebuck, okay, Gibson, you know, they go kind of go up and down and up and down, and then all of a sudden they start to hit their peak years, let's call it, you know, twenty five between 25 and 30 and really 27 to 29, and that's when you need that guy to be the elite goaltender that he's pegged to be. And I think that Sheshorkin is pegged to be that type of goaltender, but I just I want everybody to exercise caution that when he comes over, he needs to caddy first. Like he needs to be next to Lundqvist. Get definitely you can't run Lundqvist 65 games again. You got to give this guy some burn, uh, some meaningful time where he's playing like you know three out of four or whatever you want to call it. But um, I think at the end of the day, he's he's gonna be great but you just got to let him take the necessary steps, let him stub his toes, you know, let him get through it with the rest of the young players, and then hopefully he gets to where he can be. In terms of potential, if I, I mean, just as a kind of a goalie coach and watching a goalie, I think he's, he's absolutely, he's got everything. He's got the entire package to be great. Um, uh, a little like a, a bit like a Bobrovsky um, in terms of his play style. Um, so he's, he's a, He's a really exciting prospect. Just give it time. So there you go. Yeah. So I guess this would also tie to that for whenever uh, Igor gets over here. But I was wondering, it's a question we've we've been faced with this year with how god awful this defense is and all those opportunities, all those breakdowns. What the hell Neil Pionk thinks he's doing when he's trying to stop people from entering the zone? You know that that sort of stuff. How do we? Is there, is there any way you can evaluate a goaltender like uh, Georgiev when he's playing in, like, he's trying to make dinner in a burning house? You know what I mean? Like, everything he does is just a little bit more difficult, and it makes trying to figure out what we have there so, so difficult, even though it would already be tough. But it's, like, that extra bit of, like, smoke when you're trying to get a clear picture of what what might be there in, in a young goalie? I mean, is that is that just kind of something this organization and fan base is going to have to embrace as a truth that it's going to be hard to figure out what we have here? Because that yeah. might not be what everyone wants to hear. Uh, well, here, I think as a starting point with goaltenders in general, we don't, we don't have enough. Maybe it's, I, I don't know if I want to say we don't have enough statistical evidence to tease out their performance from team effects, you know, what, what happens around them kind of making and breaking their performance. Um, because I don't want, the reason I don't want to say we don't have enough is because I've looked under the hood. I've seen some of the kind of the black box proprietary data. And while some of it is slightly, maybe slightly more predictive or at least interesting, none of it is, there's nothing where it's like, that's it. That's the, you know, the golden arrow statistic that's going to tell me or, or help me predict reliably what a goalie is going to be, you know, next season or the season after that or even in season, right? So we go on the best stats we have and really what's available in the public isn't that far beneath what te- some of these teams look at with some of these, you know, companies like, um, uh, 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 what's that one, uh, Logic, whatever they're called. I don't know, whatever. So, but so I'm just saying that as, you know, there is st- there is statistical data you can look at to try to tease these things out, to try to give consideration to the quality of shots faced and see how they look. And Georgiev, it comes out okay. So I think that's good and that's promising. It means that, you know, in spite of everything, he's performing um, probably uh, better, I, I, a little bit better than I expected. Um, I, I actually... 
amazingly wrote an article about it, and Shana is going to murder me because I still haven't published it. I promised her I was going to pitch it she over. She mentions there. that like every day. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. There's something You've wrong. You've broken her soul. Uh, I know. I know. It just no more there. light in her eyes anymore. It's just kind of gone <laughs> dull and cold. It like just sits pearl. there in Google Docs. Like uh, I, I, I just want somebody to find all my uh, my hidden works from like Google Docs and my hockey graph Slack and stuff like that, and put it together into like the weirdest with my tweets, with my troll tweets, and turn it into the weirdest coffee table book uh, ever. But anyways, so Georgiev. Uh, and goalies kind of playing in a tire fire. I think it's, yeah, it's hard for a fan base to tease out and get excited. Um, it seems easier for fan bases to kind of kill goalies almost no matter what when your team loses. Um, but you've got to be rational. I mean, this defense is murderously bad. Um, it's going to be that way for a while until they get, you know, they're flush with prospects kind of all coming in at the same time, plus maybe a veteran or two that really actually does pan out. Um, and it's hard to get a gauge on goalies, and it's harder for them to develop in that situation. So you feel for a guy like Georgiev, you kind of wonder, is this, you know, impacting him in his mentality? Is he going to become a worse goalie because of it? I don't know. It's, it's, you know, I'd love to be there on the ice during practice and get a sense for, um, you know, how he handles it. I can tell you in interviews and stuff like that, he kind of handles it like a stud. Um, you know, he doesn't really seem impacted by it. He seems like he kind of knows what it is and he just plays. So that's good. Um, he, you know, look, he's got Lundqvist with him. You know, he's got maybe one of the best, if not the best goalie coaches in the world. So, um, He's got a good support system around him. I think Jeff Yorkin's going to have the exact same thing. And uh, everybody's just got to take it easy on these guys until they, you know, kind of really come together as a team. Nick is, uh, I, first of all, I have to go back like five minutes. I love the he has the caddy reference. That's a fantastic reference. Uh. <laughs> I think I should say analogy. It's a great, it's just a wonderful way to to put that because that's exactly what it is. All right, so we've gone through the goalie stuff. We don't have to we don't have to get you fired up on any of that, although I agree with you, Brodor is overrated. Moving on. Your take on the New York Rangers right now. What do you see happening? You think they're gonna trade Hayes? I'm assuming, even though Brooks is kinda of hinting that they may want to keep him, although I suspect that's more the Rangers giving him that information to make other teams yeah. think that it's possible that that's going to happen. Um, I said it on the Q&A show, but I'll say it now. We've had two sources confirm to us that Colorado and the Rangers are very close when it comes to Nemestikov. Um, what, what, just what's your take on all of this right now? Yeah, I think anybody who's not going to be a part of you know the young core two, three, or maybe even four seasons from now, you've really got to, um, you know, gotta, <laughs> you've got to think about, you know, letting go and, and moving them. I, I think you're right. You know, I think anything that where it's, they're saying, well, I think we're going to keep Hayes around might be just a smokescreen. Um, I certainly, you know, his career season couldn't have come at a better time. I, I've always been high on Hayes. I, 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 I've always thought that, you know, AV stifled him by uh, putting him on non-scoring lines with teammates that weren't ready for his, you know, kind of next level or close to elite passing skill. Um, and I think when he plays with better players, he can become a really, really good player. He's got all the tools. You know, that even with that said, by he if he's becoming that right now, um, that means in two, three, or four seasons, he's going to kind of be on the other side of that curve. And it may not be, you know, you, you need to get the, the value now out of him and get more pieces to kind of come up together. I mean, I really do think that the model in the NHL is that you have to crater to get young, super elite talent in there. You hope you strike gold with a couple of those prospects, and they all kind of come in flush together. Um, and, and, and then you make smart, savvy moves with free agency to fill in with some veteran presence. Um, I, you know, a lot of people want to look to Toronto right now because obviously they've got that, uh, that young team with those super elite young prospects, but I, I just keep looking at Tampa. I mean, Tampa is so savvy with like, 
picking off, you know, some veterans to fill in as young players were right on the cusp of having their breakout years. Um, and then keeping the super, super talented players like Stamkos there. You know, Hayes is not that. Hayes is in a first-line center, right? I don't think he's ever going to be that. He's always going to be, you know, a second-line center or maybe even a winger on a on a bad or so-so team. And then on a really good team, he's probably your third-line center. So, um, you know, is that the guy that you want to kind of keep around when you could trade him off and get some really good value for him right now? Um, probably not. And I think that goes for anybody else, you know, unfortunately, I hate saying it, but like Zuccarello, you've got to move him. Um, yeah, guys like Nemestikov, all those guys that kind of fill in the lines, you got to move them. Somebody wanted like a Jimmy VC for some reason, for some unknown reason, if they did, take Jimmy VC. God, I will kiss you on the mouth right now just for that. Because <laughs> we've, we've tried to make the VC point, then we actually, we did the Q&A show first, like, we were just saying if, if we were kind of ranking Rangers tradable assets in tiers and VC was in like the listen if you want to make an offer for him because he is definitely you'd be selling high on Jimmy yeah, VC right yeah, now. And I, I mean, like VC. He's a fine player. He is what he is. He's a yeah, 20 goal scorer, 35 right. points. It is what it is. That's right. And, and yeah, he might be good for a couple seasons of around 20 goals. He might be good. You know, he. But at the end of the day, he's probably closer to a replacement level player than he is to a solution for your team going forward. Absolutely. So if, if yeah. you have those types of guys, those replacement level guys, don't try to force them to be part of the solution. You have to find the superstar, like shooting star elite players and then pay out the nose for them to keep them in town. That's how you... Bi- Pittsburgh Penguins, you know... Toronto right now, uh, 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 Tampa right now. Like you have to get those like next level elite players, and then pay for them, and keep them happy, and keep them there, and then fill in with you know. If if we were on the other side of that, we would be filling in with a guy like Kevin Hayes, right? And maybe giving, maybe even giving up a first round draft pick for him. I don't know. Sounds crazy for a rental, but you never know. That could be what he bears on the market right now. So. Um, you want to be on the other side of that equation. The only way to get there is to sell off all of your kind of replacement level or replacement level plus type assets. That's what you just, that's just what you have to do. So, you know, as a fan base, don't get attached. I've just, I've, it sucks. I hate seeing, I have, you know, Zuccarello jerseys and he's the only player in the NHL that's kind of like my height and looks like a little block, like a power cube like me. So I'm like all about (laughs) Lego man. That's right. I'm all about Zuccarello, um, but you know I'm also all about being a fan of my team and not going through like ten years of darkness. So time to move on from Zuccarello. You know, if some team wants him, let him go, even if it's for kind of maybe even less than market value. That's what we've we've kind of come to that reality. I think every generation like goes through something like that. Uh, speaking for the three of us, I think we're all about the same age. Like we were really too young to appreciate the dark years you know what i mean like i remember them but i wasn't i wasn't old enough to be like an everyday fan where it would have impacted my life um so like this is really the first series of sell-offs that i can remember like the brian leach trade i guess could have had like it should have had a bigger impact but that was what 2004 right right so we're talking 15 years ago right I mean, it's it's not – we're not talking about, you know, I was what? I was 15 when that happened. So that's the real – like Bill Simmons says it all the time. I can't believe I'm quoting him on this podcast. You root for laundry. You root for laundry. It is what yeah. it is. You don't actually, you don't root for a player. You root for laundry. Yeah, so, that's, that's actually a great line. It, it is. It's and exactly – Bill Simmons. It's just what it is. You, well, just, you well, root and, for laundry. And I'd also say like, okay, so, you know, I came in and maybe I'm dating myself a little bit, but – like, I was a Hartford Whalers fan growing up. In 1997, they moved, and I had to pick a team, so I picked the Rangers. So I literally picked the Rangers, like, headed into their darkness, right? That was some so, good timing there, Nick. Really I know. So was it your fault? It's, it's entirely possible. I've never... Like, you're, the rooted... team you love moves, and then the next team that you love turns into seven years yeah. of no playoffs? Yeah, I've never... I've never... The Steve McKenna New York Rangers. I've never rooted for a team that wins the Stanley Cup. That's why I think it's hilarious when... You know, people are like, you don't know what it's like to be a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. It's like, nah, dude, I do. My, I don't even have a, you know, my team moved. 
all right? When I was a kid in, like, really, you know, a kid watching I had season tickets to the Whalers. I went to Whale, every single Whalers home game, you know? I, I, like, so, like, and then I jumped over to the Rangers, and they went through that whole period, and then, you know, they became good, but, like, I still don't have a Stanley Cup. So, eh. <laughs> Maybe yeah, it's my fault. I don't know. I was six when the Rangers won the Stanley Cup. Like, that doesn't count in my lifetime. I have one memory of the Stanley Cup final, and it we were at the house in Franklin Square. We were in the basement. My father and my uncle were watching the game, and I don't even remember what game it was. It was in Vancouver. The puck went over the line, and Richter's, like, glove came off, and he had a bare hand, and he, like, pawed the glove out of the hand, out of the crease, And he was trying to argue that it wasn't a goal. And they showed, like, the overhead view of it very clearly being a goal. And I just remember my uncle going, ugh. (laughs) So that's my own – that is literally the only memory I have of the Stanley Cup final. That's it. And, like, my father was probably having a heart attack on the couch. And I was, like, six playing with myself. Like, I didn't give a shit. What did I care what was going on? It's funny because, like, you know, I I remember it vividly because I was at that – you know, whatever, 12, 12 years old or whatever, where I was just like so into hockey and, um, you know, being a kid, I, I, you know, I rooted for the Whalers, but when it came to the Stanley Cup, I like, I loved Richter growing up. That was the, one of the goalies I kind of modeled my own game after. Um, and I latched onto him cause he's a small dude and all that. And, uh, so I was so excited when they won the Stanley Cup, even though it wasn't my team. Uh, it's funny cause I, uh, you know, <laughs> If I only knew that the Whalers were going to skip town and, you know, then I'd become a, a Rangers fan and go through, uh, you know, that the period of just like utter crap for whatever it was, seven years, um, you know, maybe uh, maybe I would have just become a Rangers fan earlier. And you'd have a Stanley Cup ring. That's right. Um, so, Nick, let's let's kind of well, first of all, Michael, you've you've spoken very little. Do you have a, you have anything to add on this? I want to give you your due. I don't need any do. Um, I'm fine. I'm like I've just I was just recollecting. I remember waking up the day after they won the cup, and I was really tired. And my brother, who's older than me, was trying to explain because he was in high school at the time. He's like, "Don't you understand, you idiot? They won the cup." And I was like rubbing my eyes, and I was like, I, "What?" He's like, "Just watch Sports Center." I was like, "I'm eight years old." Like it was really fun, um, but it was. Uh, I remember being like, "Oh, I get it." This is what they were playing for. That's great. I like that Messier guy. And then, like, as I got older and I had to endure, you know, Sandy McCarthy and Steve McKenna on the first line and be told how Jamie Lundmark's going to turn the organization around, uh, you know, it's kind of, I do remember vividly that the dark years were pretty dark for me because one or two years older than you, Joe, so... Yeah, that was the old bastard. That was not a fun time. That was not a fun time. No, apparently when they won the cup, my father made my mother wake me up to like watch them skate. No fucking recollection, none whatsoever. (laughs) Um, I don't have a, I don't, not a clue. Like I remember, I could literally like point out every moment of that Stanley Cup final because when I was older and the team sucked. My father bought like the memorial VHS tape of their Stanley Cup victory, and I would watch that like every day after school for a year. I fucking watched that tape, so I know like I was I can literally hear the crowd when like Leach scores in Game Seven. All of that shit like that's there in my brain, but I didn't remember it, and it had nothing. You know, there's it's not there because it was organically. I just fucking watched it until it became a part of me. Um, Nick. Let's ask you the a question that Mike and I have kind of gone back and forth on. We've um, we've seen a lot of interesting things from David Quinn. I'd, I'd argue we've seen some really good things from David Quinn, and we've seen some bad things from David Quinn. He's got great hair. I he's got great that. hair, and he has like Dan Girardi level eyes. Beautiful eyes, great um, hair. You know, Buchnevich is going to play tonight because this is releasing tonight. So you're going to listen to this on Tuesday on the fourth line again. What are your? You, we're in this. We're halfway through the season now. What is your halfway through the season thoughts on David Quinn? Do you think he's somewhat hamstrung by the fact that they have players that have to play because they have to get traded? Um, are you in the boat? Are you off the boat? Are you kind of in and out like Mike and I seem to be? You tell us. Uh, so. 
I'm I'm probably out on David Quinn. I, I'm gonna stick to my guns from when you know when they first uh, announced him as the head coach. I was pretty pessimistic about him. Um, first of all, I he's Doctor Strange. Um, he hundred percent Doctor Strange. He's one hundred percent Doctor Strange, um, but he doesn't use any of his powers to coach. I don't think. Here's my. Here's kind of okay. Let's backtrack. So David Quinn came from BU, and I felt is a kind of a devout college hockey hockey East um, guy. I probably watch. It's possible I watch more college hockey than NHL at this point. Um, Do you I was, Bobcats? Yeah, that's right. I'm not. Uh, I was never super impressed with his work at BU. I always felt like the team underperformed their skill level, and he had some incredibly talented teams, like insanely talented. And he, they just seemed like they played with their heads cut off, which told me that a he's not very good at teaching systems to young players and getting them to play cohesively, and b he doesn't really get the best out of his best players. Now I've seen some of that same stuff at the NHL level. Uh, granted, he's the new guy. He's getting used to the NHL and everything else. But I, I, at the end of the day, hockey's hockey. And what I see more often than not is there are huge portions of time in any given game where the team plays like they don't know how to play together. Um, and then on top of that, there are huge periods of time, you know, possibly the entire season in the case of some players, where you're not get he doesn't get the best out of his top end talent. What he does do well is he gets the best and the most out of his kind of like go hard, uh, you know, aggro, dig it out of the corners type of players. Um, you know, you're, I guess your Howdens, Nemestikov has kind of become that type of player. Um, you know, kind of these guys where I'm like, these aren't the 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 guys with the most talent. And then I watched like Heedle and. And, um, you know, Buchnevich and some of these other guys where they're floundering, they don't really look like they're, you know, taking substantial steps forward so far this season where, you know, what are we now, 50-something games in. So I feel like I should be seeing a little bit more out of them, and I'm not. And then on top of it, he, then he buries those types of players when they make any kind of mistake. Um, but then he keeps playing Cody McLeod. You know, whether it's for eight minutes or 18 minutes, it doesn't matter. Why are you playing that guy? Um, so, I, so I guess what I'm kind of saying is he's a little bit like Elaine Vigneault to me. Um, a little bit like the same sort of coach, uh, but maybe without the NHL track record where people can say, I don't know if I support that statement yet. Um but I think people are going to come around and start to be like, yeah, he kind of is. He makes weird decisions with his deployment. He makes weird decisions, uh, you know, that definitely reward the go-hard players without the skill and kind of bury the confidence of the guys with high levels of skill. I'm happy. I'm happy we've seen a couple players, you know, break out from at from post AV. I mean, I think. Zabenajad was always going to break out. It was just a matter of, you know, health and opportunity and everything like that. But, um, you know, Hayes, that's great that he broke out. Um, but the young guys I really want to see, they're just not, you know, I'm not seeing the steps forward under him. Yeah, Mike, is, Mike and I have argued how much of an impact, like, the team being terrible kind of has on that situation. And we actually just talked about whether or not there's a, a kind of a guiding hand right now with some of those decisions. Um, although not all of them. The the mini AV comparison is interesting because I've been a big, like one of the things that really drove me crazy about AV was that I knew what he was going to do before he did it, but there was no, like, I couldn't logically follow the path of the decision, right? It was yeah. so, it was such a wild swing of, well, he's going to sit Buchnevich because he thinks glass is better than Buchnevich, but I don't really understand like where that's coming from. There's the sophisticated stats package that may or may not have existed and was totally a load of shit. Um, 
One of the things that I think I've liked from Quim, there's a little bit more self, well, a lot more than AV for sure, self-reflection. I feel like Quinn has you know, admitted that he's made mistakes and he's trying to figure things out and we never really saw that before. I also think, and you may laugh at me, I think the media doesn't treat him with kid gloves the way that they did AV and I think that matters. Like, yeah, Quinn I, was I, I definitely no- agree with that. He's noticeably, when they asked, I don't know if you saw, somebody asked the question about you know, Buchnevich scoring two goals on the power plant being on the fourth line. Line, like that you need to critically think about it. when you don't get questions like that and the media softball Davey for years yeah I guess because they liked him like there's no you don't have to think about shit you can just do whatever you want and never be called on it so I, I do think Quinn is being helped in that regard and that the media is legitimately questioning him and I also think there's a little bit of self-reflection I'm trying to look at this optimistically I I think he's some of the like frustrations that I have personally I also on the other hand can't have like I think he's given Howden and Pionk way too long of a leash but by the same token I want kids to be playing so like I'm weighing that more than the other he should have never been right kids to be playing though well sure you want so and and that was the next point yeah that was the next point I was going to get to like Hedl should have never played with McLeod. Buchnevich should never be on the fourth line. And part of what I'm hearing, and I'll give you a little blue shirt banter source-ish stuff and take it with a grain of salt considering who it's coming from, is that Quinn knows this is a lost year. So he's attempting to kind of push his own like ideology onto these guys. And you and I may look at Buchnevich on the fourth line and say, well, that's insane. Right, because how could you like you're prioritizing character over skill? Something we're, we're going to talk about on the Q and A show, but it's being positioned to me that some of it is I have an opportunity to prove a point to him, and this is how I'm going to do it because I know we're not going to win. My well, issues, and go ahead. No, no, no. All I was going to say, and so that's kind of where I go back to the stuff at BU. Like, so I've heard now from multiple different people close to. BU and close to this situation when Eichel was there, like Eichel just came out and said, like, I didn't get anything out of going to BU. In fact, I, I he, he kind of treated it like he lost, you know, time, so to speak. And, uh, you know, I saw other examples with it, like Jordan Greenway, he would bury him at the, the smallest little mistake. Jordan Greenway would go, go out on the ice and just be like a bat out of hell for 60 seconds and absolutely dominate like man amongst boys um as cliche as it is like total man amongst boys and then all of a sudden he'd be sitting on the bench for like eight minutes and i'm like where's where's greenway why is he not on the ice again and you know then i hear after the fact that like uh, he you know made uh, uh some ill-advised what quinn thought was an ill-advised pass, and so he kind of sat him on the bench and, you know, blah, blah, blah. It was a a teaching moment, right? So he definitely has that philosophy of, like, you know, you have to pay your dues. You you know, if you make mistakes, then you, you, you know, you have to learn from them. The way you learn from them is from losing playing time and, you know, kind of sitting and watching and playing on the fourth line, working your way up and all that other stuff. And, hey, look at this guy, Cody McLeod. He doesn't have the skill, but he's out there grinding. So, you know, that's what, that's what I'm rewarding. You know, trying to build that mentality and character in an elite level talent with the kind of the philosophy or the idea that that's going to pay off for that guy when he has that character built into that skill level, um, it will take him to the next level. Uh, you know, am I the, the person to say that that's not the way it works and that every single player is a, an individual and you have to treat them individually regardless of how much or how little talent they have and you have to figure out the hooks that make them go to get the most out of them, you know, I'm not an NHL coach, but at the same time, that's my philosophy. Um, And I don't think that he works that way. I don't know because I'm not there, right? I I can only go on, you know, what I hear, you know, quotes and sound bites from him and what I see on the ice and, you know, some of the decisions he makes. But that's the, the sense I get is that he has this philosophy that he tries to, to impress upon all of them. And, um, you know, my coaching style would be more individualized to try to get the most out of each player by figuring out what makes them go. Mike, you raised your hand like a good boy, a good school boy. So 
Pizza is really good, Nick. You know that. Uh, Joe knows that, and I know that. I'm wondering, if, you know, if pizza's on a bagel, you can eat pizza anytime. We all know that. That's gospel. But I'm wondering what non-pizza crust uh, vessel for tomato sauce and cheese and pizza condiments, i.e. the pizza bagel, or let's say like a chicken parm. Like what transfer of the, of the magic of pizza onto another thing is your favorite non-pizza thing? It's a great question. Jeez, oh, that is a good question. For me, it's chicken parm by a lot. Like you're saying chicken parm... Like, is a pizza vessel? Yeah, well, like, like there's a chicken parm and then there's pizza on top of it. No, so, what I'm saying is like you have chicken and okay. then you have tomato sauce. So chicken sauce is the dough. Yeah, yeah, but but, but wait a minute, it's not pizza sauce; it's a marinara sauce. Well, it's it's just got. Would you, would Michael? You, would we you have the come, pizza boy on the podcast. Would you come along with me once? He's, he's one gonna, time into he's the woods. He's never going to come me. back if you besmirch his craft. I want to like bring this. you into the woods. I'm going to hold a lantern like an old man who works in a graveyard and show you show you a world you've never seen before. But you have to come into the woods. Into the woods. Chicken parm is a pizza. This this is. It's only worse by when you made. What did you make? Messier a winger on like your all time best team because you want. I'm pretty to win sure games? he started at wing. I'm pretty sure he started at wing. So you can fuck yourself and join right. me in the woods. All right, Nick, uh, go answer the question as best you can. Uh, pizza bagels are good. What pizza are, bagels are what good. are other? Um, oh, so French bread pizza rules. I mean, does Ooh, that count? that's a great answer. I'm going to say that does count because that's French bread and that's not pizza crust. The, there right. was no better elementary school lunch oh, at St. Catharines of Siena oh, than hell. fucking French bread pizza. Just got a little bit of crunch to it, like oh. especially every, by the heel. Oh, God. It, it's so funny. Like, did I feel like almost every elementary school cafeteria in America... Like got everything wrong except for French bread pizza. They somehow like got that right, and everybody, you know, at least at my elementary school was like, "Well, we're just waiting for French bread pizza day. Why don't you have that like three times a week?" Um, yeah, that's. I think that's got to be it. And like, oh my god, if you think about like, uh, you know, rough night, want to make a quick uh, little pizza snack. Um, Take some, yeah, garlic bread or French bread pizza, like even the frozen kind, whatever. Heat it up a little bit, like pre-bake it a little bit, and then just toss, um, you know, any old sauce on it or tomatoes and some cheese. And, hell, throw some pepperoni or some meat on there, and you've got gold, you know, especially if you get it nice and crispy with some butter in there. I I will besmirch. Hold on, Joe, shut your mouth. Nick, what I want you to do is say everything you just said, but say it slower and closer to the mic for me. As close to the mic as you can. I will besmirch the pizza boy and tell you that, um, Nick, close your ears. Stouffer's extra cheese French bread pizza is a lights-out frozen option if you do not want to make your own. I eat Stouffer's. I love Stouffer's. Stouffer's is salt. I like to get a, a little darker than you should. When the cheese starts to get like a little brown around the ends, which that's exactly what you want. Yeah, but that's Nick is—that's not Nick makes his own pizza. I know that he's better than us. Yeah, well, I made my own pizza, but and he came into the woods with me because he knew he could trust me. Well, he only did that because I like <laughs> scaredly told him that if he didn't, my life was at risk. And Nick and I go way back. Your so, life's been at risk for years. We're Connecticut boys. I believe I helped you find a real estate agent, right? Am I remembering our relationship correctly? I believe so. I yeah, so, so there you go. We're here. We have there dogs. Was, yeah, there was a point in time where I think we were trying to... I was trying to figure out where to get a place, and I was even looking around your neck of the woods. My my area in Trumbull, yeah. Yeah, but... You uh, went up north, though, didn't you? You betrayed me. I'm, I'm, in, uh, I'm in sleepy old Saybrook. Mm. A nice little beach community. Well, let's listen. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Nick is going to come make pizza for me. That's what's going to happen. I'll tell you that right now. I'm down with that. I I, I think I uh, I did a Twitter poll at one point where, um, you know, but I I really like the idea of like as a new career path, I just become this like traveling pizza, um, you know, uh, pizza maker slash instructor, and I show up at people's houses and they do uh you know they have a little party a little soiree so to speak and i make some delicious pizza and then teach them how it's like one of those art classes but with pizza 
Then you know who you won't bring, Mike, because he'll bring them into the woods, and they don't want to make pizza in the woods. No, they want to make different. it in their kitchen. <laughs> I'm going to be watching from the woods. That's a where, different thing. Where we call chicken parm pizza? Yeah, where we call chicken parm pizza. It's All insanity. Right. That whole I, thing. You know what? This is it, what it, the playground felt like for me. Is everyone just because I'm different? And I see tomato <laughs> is, sauce is tomato sauce. Everyone feels like they're going to be mean now. You're you're a heathen. You're a heathen to believe that. You're you an know animal. it's not true. You know it isn't. Marinara sauce is not. This is the Messier thing all over again. And that you don't even have the excuse to win games this time. This is because I'm Irish and neither of you are going to say it. Well, yeah, it is. It really is. The, that's just sad. All right, Nick, we're going to we're going to leave you with this, the most important question. If you were about to die, and you could only make one pizza for yourself before you died, what would the pizza be? Because I see you on Twitter throwing around these hot pepper pizzas. The peppers and honey look delicious, actually. Um, you got your uh, you got your meats pizza, the cured meat pizza. You got everything going for you. I would what make do you pick? aspirin pizza in case I'm dying of a heart attack. That's what I would do. You'd take the time to bake the aspirin instead of no, just, just eating it? Just smush it on top. Would it be smushed on top of chicken parm or pizza? Yeah, it would, you son of a bitch. It would. It would be, mine would, uh, without a doubt, be an arrabbiata pizza, which would have, like, a hot oil tomato sauce. So, you know, tomato sauce with, instead of sub-olive oil, with some some form of hot oil, like a a pepper-infused olive oil. And then uh, with pickled chilies and... uh, Probably pepperoni, but maybe even like prosciutto and hot honey. That would be my pizza, I, which I'd use the spice to try to revive my uh, my black dead heart. Hmm, interesting. Nick, like final, final question. I'm going to put you on blast while you and me are allies in this war. Can you just tell the people that New Haven Pizza is king? No, oh, that's just... Who's, whoever's debating that... You gotta get your. They're animals. These people. I get into fights with people on Twitter all the time. You've never. If you think New York pizza is better than New Haven pizza, you have never had New Haven pizza. Sally's, Peppy's, Modern. I would even fucking throw Zupari's in there. They are better than anything you are eating. Yeah, yeah. There's no doubt. And and what's what's kind of neat is now I'm I now I'm in the, the the pizza community. Uh, and I talk to, <laughs> you say it like it's some underground light. That's right. Well, so I talk to some of these people that, uh, you know, are uh, running really good, you know, well, well-recognized pizza shops, and they all point to New Haven. Um, they all point to New Haven. It's, uh, it's the coal fire. Coal fire and... and coal fire's uh, king. Yeah, and then, you know, a lot of these places, like especially Sally's and, of course, Pepe's they're they're old school they've been doing it forever they figured out exactly what they like to do and they don't really depart from it it's just new I try to describe it to people New Haven pizza is like cooked more than like it like a New York slice folds if you don't fold it the the Brooklyn fold the pizza will just be floppy yeah it's not really the case I mean Sally's kind of is more than like modern or Pepe's for sure but like it's just it's just fucking just have it well oh, you know cl- what I, for, I remember another one pizza burgers they do that what? <laughs> like pizza on burgers you're saying now you've never had a pizza burger before they're not no good. i mean nick and i were both speechless at that interjection all right i'm gonna go back to being quiet you talk i got about nothing for that go ahead nick my only suggestion is if if you know, if you're on the fence as to whether New Haven is better, especially if you're in New York, just take the dumb train up here, go to Sally's uh, or go to Modern, go inside, order the pizza, sit there and wait for it like a good boy or girl, get the pizza piping hot, delivered to a table and eat it right there. Don't put it in a box. The box will ruin it. Wherever you take it, it won't taste the same. Uh, the moisture causes it to get eat it right there. Take in the atmosphere, pay cash at Sally's, and and you know sit in the uh, who knows sit with people you don't even know who cares, and just eat an entire large pizza right there. It'll change your life. I'll even I'll give you one better. I'll let you go to Pepe's in Fairfield. 
Go sit down, like Nick said. Eat it in Pepe's. Get a fucking Fox. What is it? Foxtrot. What is the soda? Uh, Fox. How? What is it? Hang on. This is terrible, terrible podcasting. I'm just gonna put Fox Soda into <laughs> Google. Fox and Park. Okay. Yeah. Go get a Fox and Park white birch beer soda. Get a regular fucking cheese pizza. Sit in Pepe's and eat it. He's right. Just eat it. Okay? It will it legitimately will change your life. You will never be the same. It will ruin pizza for you everywhere. And then you go to Sally's, you go to the Pepe's in New Haven and get the legitimate experience. Trust me, I am from New York. I grew up thinking New York was the greatest pizza in the world. I was wrong. It is fucking New Haven. Yes, Michael. So um, this is probably sacrilege of a question for you, Nick, and I apologize beforehand. Uh, But if we're choosing between the lesser of evils, if you have to eat from a pizza chain, a delivery chain, you have to do it. You have to do it. Where do you go? What do you do? Yeah, I I I uh, I did this on. Somebody asked me this on Twitter at one point, and I'm gonna stick with my answer from there, which is you go for rock bottom. If you're gonna go there, go all the way down, Pizza Hut. Just <laughs> the straight cafeteria pizza. Just if, to the yeah, it's... if you're if you're really just you know dumpster diving for pizza, then dive all the way to the bottom and roll around in it, and you know feel awful about yourself. That's uh, if you're making that decision, given that every single town in America, I mean, I lived in Louisiana for a while. There's pizza places everywhere and you can find something better than the chains uh, literally anywhere. I believe that. Um, So if you're going to go that way, then then, you know, Pizza Hut and uh, hate yourself for it. But but Nick is right. I'm going to re- honestly just take, especially if you're in New York or New Jersey, just fucking go to Connecticut. I believe, like, I live here. I get it. But, like, Connecticut grew on me like a mold. There's so much that's not good about Connecticut. There's so much that is good about Connecticut. Pizza's one of them. Just fucking do it. You owe it to yourself. If you think you've had good pizza, you owe it to yourself. Um, Nicholas, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been a long time coming. Um Mike, and I appreciate it. I think you have a regular guest spot here if you ever want it, by the way. Sweet. I've been with, waiting. I, I is, like to be courted. I said. I know. I you I said that. You stuff. said that to me. Yeah. We well. We so we moved to Vox now, which I'm sure you're aware. And that was a series of, of months of figuring that nonsense out. So we're here now. It's good. We're back. We're doing two shows a week. So welcome. Um, that reminds me for all of you who are patrons, Patreon.com/slash Blue Shirt Banter. I'll just shout you out: Aiden Gaspar, Alex Gardner. Armael Kistner, Andre Chicago, off Anthony Viola, Arch Williams, Bob Kawa, Chris B, Chris Habibi, Dan Carosi, Daniel DeGen, Danny Santiago, David L. Singer, Eric Cohn, Eric Carlson, Fancy Lawrence, Gabriel Vargas, 50, Igor Zatlovsky, James Dangles, John J. Porter, John Reppy, Johnny Alo, Keith Franchillo, Nat Bader, Michael Silvers, Michael Offit, Robert Courtney, Stink Fleeman, Thomas Osa, Tall Guy Robert, Trevor Kempner, and Zachary Zetlin. Thank you all so much for donating. You're better than the rest of them. Please give us your address. We have swag, stickers, and if you're in the $10 tier, we have a mug that may or may not have a swear on it um, that we will be giving you, so we appreciate that. Yeah, companies are no fun. That's what uh, yeah, they Joe won't, and they I won't have let been us write, they won't, Not even a bad swear, just like a normal, a normal swear. Nicholas, anything you'd like to add for the people? Did Eric Carlson donate? Like the uh, yes, it's a it's a different. It, well, you know what? We should tell. It is a different Eric Carlson, but we'll tell people that it's the yeah. real Eric Carlson. He's yeah. uh, it's with a C. It's E R I K though, so we're close enough, right? Yeah, halfway home. Yeah, yeah we're halfway. There. We're halfway there. Eric Carlson donated. That's cool. Uh, Eric, Eric Carlson, future Ranger. Um, oh, you think so? Oh no, don't. <laughs> He's got half an ankle. That's all he has left. Is just yeah. He has like pop rocks for an ankle now. Like, he's got re- he's got really cool uh, facial hair. And, yeah, he's, he's he's Jack he's Sparrow, like a little devil, but yeah, more handsome. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's all yeah. It is. Um, no, I've got nothing to add. Thanks for having me on. Uh, you can follow Thanks so me much, on. Nick. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Let him plug himself, Michael. You animal. Yeah, <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at n mercad n m e r c a d. It's mostly pizza, uh, Roma soccer, and then Rangers, I guess. There you go.
Well, thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week.